it's always a great blessing to have something for children. And it's interesting, when I go back to a church, they may not remember the church, the message I've preached, but they remember the things I did for the kids. <laughs> and I'm sure you'll remember that as well this morning. But let me say uh, this morning, as you turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 14, it's been a real, real privilege to be with you, dear folk. Last Sunday, we just had a great time together, a great time of fellowship and blessing. And then, of course, today to be with you. And we want you to know we'll be praying for you in a special, special way as you look ahead to the shepherd that God wants to lead this flock, lead this church, the pastor that God has for you someplace out there. And God knows who it is, and I trust you'll be praying much about it. But again, thank you so much for your love and kindness. We think it a great, great privilege to be here and be with you, dear folk, uh, these, these two Sundays. But if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I want to begin reading with verse number 28. Verse number 28, and we're going to read through verse number 35. Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, setteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand, or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth as an ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a great blessing to be here. What a great blessing to be in the house of the Lord and to sing praises unto Thee. And the special number that we've just heard, what a blessing. Then, Father, to be able to read the wonderful Word of God and allow the Spirit of God to teach us and, and challenge us and speak to us from it. And we'll pray this morning for what you're going to accomplish. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, I wore this tie for a special reason. <laughs> Tuesday is Veterans Day, uh, known earlier as Memorial Day or Armistice Day, Veterans Day. And so uh, I wore this ta- a time to remember those veterans, of course, that gave their lives for the cause of freedom and for those that are living today. And it means a lot to me. I had two brothers that were killed in the war. My third brother served time in the service. I tried to get in the military myself, and I went to enlist. And I guess because I had two brothers that had been killed and one brother that was serving time in the service, they told me uh, to go back to school, go back to college, uh, which I did. And when I, when I left college, God had me in his army. But what a blessing this morning to remember the price the price that was paid, actually, for individuals 
that have died or served in, uh, in the military. And we need to remember them. And I'm glad that on Tuesday you have a special service at the park or whatever to remember those individuals. Now, as I begin to think about the cost of what's involved, those that are willing to pay the price, I think this morning of the cost of what it means to be a Christian. What is the price tag of being a Christian? You see, nearly everything we do, we count the cost. If you go to the grocery store, what do you do? You look at the price of that item usually before you buy it. If you go to buy a car, you're considering the cost. If you go to buy furniture, you consider the cost. Whatever we do, we're considering the cost. What does it cost to buy that item that we're interested in? But I suppose very few of us stop to think, what does it cost to be a Christian? What is the price tag involved? Those that served in the military were willing to pay that price. But what does it cost for us to serve in the army of the Lord and to be a born-again Christian? And as I think of that cost, if you're thinking this morning, it does not cost anything for us. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. And the Bible presents that truth in a great way. But it did cost something. For instance, the Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. So it cost God the Father His Son. The Lord Jesus was willing to be born in Bethlehem's manger and to grow up to the age of 30 or 33 or whatever and was willing to go to the cross and die on that cross that we might be saved. The price that was paid by the Lord Jesus is spoken of a bit in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6, where it says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Think of the price. The Bible says in John chapter 19, they took Jesus, stripped him of his clothes, nailed him to the cross. They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. They reviled him. They mocked him. But Jesus hung on that cross, willing to pay the price that you and I might be saved. He was taken from the cross, was buried, and arose again, victorious, willing to be seated at the right hand of God the Father to intercede all that come unto God by Him. So what's the price? It cost God the Father His Son. It cost the Lord Jesus His life and that terrible death on the cross. But for us, It's a gift. It's a gift. Now, how do we receive that gift? It's simple. It's plain. In order to receive that gift, we must acknowledge that we're sinners. Nobody is ever going to get saved apart from the fact he realizes he is a sinner and lost. The Bible says the wage of sin is death. So that person has to realize that they're a sinner, and when they realize they're a sinner, 
then they're able to take the second step, and that is to believe that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, and Jesus died on that cross that they might be saved. And I illustrate it sometimes with my hands. I say, let's say this hand represents the fact that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's true of all of us. We say this hand represents God and His love. Willing to pay the price by giving His Son, Jesus died on the cross and shed His precious blood. Now, dear friend, you can believe these two facts and go straight to hell. There has to come a time when the sinner accepts the Savior, and the Savior accepts the sinner. And when that transaction takes place, you receive saving faith, you receive eternal, everlasting life. First, to acknowledge that we're sinners. Second, to acknowledge that God loves us and paid the price that we might be saved. And then to receive that Savior in our heart and life, we're born into the family of God. Tremendous price that was paid for you and for me and for the sins of the world. Now, as I begin to think about that and the cost, it's a gift to us. But what, is co- what does it cost us to be a Christian after we're saved? Is there a price involved? Does God expect something of me? Does He expect something of you after you're saved? Yes, He does. And I see that here in this passage of Scripture that I read. Look at what it says there in verse number 33. So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now you can be saved, born again, but to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and be what God wants you to be and what God wants me to be, God expects something of us. So there's a price involved. The price that's involved, dear friend, involves everything. It involves our body. It involves our soul. It involves our spirit. And the Bible is very clear concerning that fact. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that we're to present our body a living sacrifice. A living He lives inside. He lives in this temple. And we're to present our body as a living sacrifice. Now, there's three parts to our body. First of all, uh, there's the body. What does God expect of us in our body now that Christ lives inside? He expects that we obey Him. He expects that we obey Him. He expects that we obey the Word of God. That's what God expects. He's given to us the Word of God, not just to read, but to read it and obey Him. That's what he expects. So in, uh, to be what God wants me to be, the price that I need to pay if I'm going to be a good Christian, if I'm going to be a disciple of Him, it involves the body. Obedience involves church membership. It involves baptism. Then it involves something with the soul. Now, what's the soul? That's the real you that lives inside the body. And the real you, God expects us to be separate from the world and separated unto the Lord. That's what God expects. And then it comes to our spirit, because there's three parts to the body, the spirit. And the Bible says that has to do with our mind. The Bible says in Philippians 4 and verse number 8, the Bible says, Finally, brother, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, and, and, and pure, and, and, and lovely, and a good report, 
think on these things. So for me to be, and for you to be, what God wants you to be, now that you're saved, I'm talking about those that are saved. Now, if we're going to be what God expects, He expects that we surrender all. That's the price that God expects us to pay. And you can say amen once in a while if you want to. It's the truth from the Word of God. Now, the second thing I want us to know uh, note this morning, what is the price, the cost of not being what God wants us to be? Is there a price to be paid when I do not obey? Is there a price to be paid if I'm not willing to listen to the Word of God? Uh, is there a price to pay when I'm not willing to do what God wants me to be? Yes, there is a price. There's a loss of present blessings. In Psalms 106, a great passage of Scripture that has to do with the children of Israel. And there's a parallel there with us. In Psalms 106, begin with verse 5, the Bible says, He saved them, He delivered them, He redeemed them, in verse number 10, and they believed His works. They rejoiced when they crossed the Red Sea. They rejoiced at God's provision that had given. They saw His works, according to verse 13 of Psalms 106, but they forgot the great things that the Lord had done. Oh, they rejoiced, yes, but they forgot. They forgot. And as a result of forget, God gave them their request. What was their request? They requested to go back to Egypt. They desired the leeks and the garlics and those things that they had in Egypt. They forgot the bondage that they were involved in. They forgot. And so listen, God said, listen, seeing you forgot the miracles, you forgot the work that I did with you, you forgot all these things, then you're going to enjoy the leanness of your soul. Why? They forgot. They forgot God's blessing. The loss of present blessings. I think of a man spoken of in, in Genesis chapter 19, the man by the name of Lot. Lot worshipped at the same altar with Abraham. What a blessing. But there was a disagreement between Lot and Abraham and between the herdsmen of, of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. And so they separated. Lot chose the well-watered plain that led down towards Sodom. It looked like a great, wonderful place to raise his family. It was fertile. It was wonderful. He moved his family there. But listen, as you read from Genesis 19, we find him in the very gate of one of the most wicked cities in the world. Now what happened? He lost his testimony. He lost his family. He lost his wife. He lost his possessions. He lost everything. The cost of not being what God wanted to be. The loss of present blessings. But then, the cost of future blessings. Now think with me this morning of Galatians chapter 6, 7 and 8. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he reap. Now think with me. The Bible says it's very clear. Be not deceived. God said, whatever we sow, we're going to reap. Now, I learned that on the farm. I learned as a young person. 
I learned when we went out and checked corn, and some of you understand that terminology. I learned when we went out and broadcast wheat or oats. I learned this, that what we sowed is what came up. It's what came up. And I would go out, and I would dig down, especially with the corn, to find that kernel of corn, to find out if it was sprouting, find out if it was going to grow. And I discovered great, great truth. Whatever we sow, we reap. Now, you wouldn't be in business on the ranch or farm or whatever if that didn't work. It worked. But listen, dear friend, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that whatever we sow, we're going to reap? Do we really believe it? If I'm honest with you this morning, I'm afraid that many do not believe it. Oh, we believe it outside with the land. We, but how about with our lives? How about with us? I think this morning of an organist. And I appreciate music. I do not know one note from another, but I appreciate music. But an organist in a church that could play anything and everything. She was so gifted in playing music at that organ. She had one child by the name of Charles, and every now and then this organist would get, would get ornery. She'd get contrary. She'd go home from church and criticize the deacons. She criticized people in the church. She criticized the pastor. Criticized what was going on in the church. And so the day came... When her son was graduating from high school, he finished 12 years, and they had a party. That party was to, was to celebrate the 12 years that he had finished in completion of high school, which was great. Then Sunday came, and he's sitting in, in the front room uh, 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 with his feet up on the hassock, and his mother is in the bedroom getting ready for Sunday school, and she comes out, says, Charles! Get off of that Davenport, get off of that seat, and get in the bedroom and get ready. She said, Mother, he said, Mother, I'm not going to go to Sunday school with you today. She said, Oh, yes, you are. Get off of that seat and get in there. He said, Mother, I'm not going to go to Sunday school with you today. And though she in anger said, Demand it, you are, he said, I'm not going. Then he said this, now listen carefully. He said, why should I go? Every Sunday, Mom, you criticize. You criticize the deacons. You criticize the pastor. You criticize that church. Why should I go? She said, I'm not going to go. He said, I'm not going to go. And he called, she called me on the phone with tears and said, Preacher, what am I going to do? I said, dear lady, there's nothing you can do now but pray. The seeds have been sown. You see, dear friend, the Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. And dear friend, I say it kindly, we are reaping in America, we're reaping today what has been sown. What has been sown? What has been sown? We are reaping in our homes today what has been sown. We're reaping in our church today what has been sown. And so it's very important that we sow the proper way. The cost of not being what God wants us to be. Oh, the loss of present blessings, then the loss of future blessings, 
And then I think of the loss of eternal blessings. Because there's a little verse that we quote sometimes, and it's Hebrews 9 and verse 27. And I think we only quote the first part of that verse. God says, uh, it is appointed unto them once to die. Don't put a period there. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Did you know, dear friend, that that verse is written primarily to Christians? To the Hebrew believers? It's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. Now, what's that judgment? It's a time when you as a believer, when I as a believer, are going to stand in the presence of the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we've done since we got saved. I read in 1 John 2 and verse 28, there are those that are going to stand there that are going to be ashamed at His coming. I read in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 15, there are going to be individuals that are going to suffer loss Oh, they're going to be saved, but they're going to suffer a loss. I read in uh, Revelation chapter 7, it says there are going to be tears, and thank God He's going to wipe away the tears. He's going to, but there are going to be tears there. Why? Because individuals standing there at the judgment seat of Christ did not count the cost of what the Lord expected. You see, dear friend, I'm just being honest now. It costs something to be what God wants you to be. It's going to cost something for not being what God wants you to be. Now, the last thing I want you to see in this message, I want you to see the cost of not being a Christian. The terrible, terrible price of rejecting the Lord Jesus, rejecting that gift. In, in Mark chapter 8, verse 37, it says, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world? And lose his whole soul. Terrible, terrible price. Now, my wife and I travel a lot of the time in a motor home, and sometimes we park at Walmart. And I've heard, I've been through Bentonville, Arkansas, I suppose several times, which is the headquarters of Walmart. And I heard that Sam Walton was a believer. So I purchased the book. I wanted to find out Sam Walton's relationship. At that time, one of the richest men in the world. At that time. So I purchased the book. And I read in the book that Sam Walton had leased property down in Texas. Hundreds of acres. And he would take his business associates down there and they would go quail hunting. So he took his business associates down there and they were going quail hunting, went out and they, they got the number of quail that they were supposed to get or whatever, and they came back to a mobile home that he had set there on the property, and he discovered something. Sam Walton had locked himself out. And he's embarrassed to no end for his business associates because he couldn't get in. He went around and pried the windows and pried the windows and pried the windows, and finally he discovered a bathroom window was open. Unlocked. So he got something to stand on, and he's standing on it, and his associates are helping. They're lifting him, and they pry that window open, and Sam Walton pulls his shoulders in like this, and, and they force him through that window, and he flops over on the bathroom door, bathroom floor. As a result of that, Sam Walton developed pains in his shoulder and neck 
according to the book. He went to a noted doctor, and the doctor examined him and said, Sam Walton, you have the worst kind of cancer possible. I recommend that you go back to Bentonville, Arkansas, and turn over your business to your wife and to your children, your grandchildren, because you do not have long to live. And I looked at the book, and I read it, and I read it, wondering, what's he going to do? And in all of the reading of the book, I did not read a word about Sam Walter crying out to God. Crying out to God. Oh, dear friend, I hope it's not true. I hope it's not true. But if he did not cry out to God, even though he was one of the richest men at that time in the world, if he did not cry out to God for eternal salvation, Sam Walton is paying the price of not being a Christian. Think about it. Oh, dear friend, it means to go to a place where there's no forgiveness forever. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a place where you're never, never, never forgiven? The Bible says in Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death. The Bible says in Revelation 22 and verse 11, he that is unjust will be unjust still. The Bible says in Mark 9 and verse 44, it says, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. No forgiveness ever, forever. That's a terrible price to pay. I think of a dear couple that lived across the road. They got in an argument. And the wife shouted back at her husband and said to her husband, I'm not going to speak to you again until you say you're sorry. She shou- he shouted back at her and said, I'm not going to speak to you until you say you're sorry. And it's true what I'm telling you. Days went on. They did not speak to one another. She prepared the meal and then went in the back room and sat while he ate the meal. If they needed to get groceries, she wrote down the list and said, if you want to eat, buy these items. But the day came. The day came when that dear wife died. And I'll never forget it. He stood beside the casket in the funeral home. And with tears, he called her name and said, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And that man lived the rest of his life not forgiven. Can you imagine the price tag of being into a place of judgment where you're never forgiven? Then I read in the Scripture, it's a place where there'll be no peace forever. No peace. Uh, Isaiah 57 and verse 20 and 21, But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. No peace whatsoever. Forever. And then third, there's no mercy. No mercy in that terrible place. Luke chapter 16, 22 and 23, And it came to pass that the rich man died and was buried, and he lifted up his eyes in hell forever, desiring just a drop of water. Terrible, terrible price to pay. Revelation 20 and verse 15, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I've been reminded this week of the times I've been in Hawaii for meetings. And I guess it was about the last time I was there, I I, I said, I want to go out to the volcano. 
I, I was in a motel room, and I saw the video there on the news about that volcano spewing out and, and uh, lava flowing down, flowing down from that mountain, flowing down to the ocean. And I said, I want to go out and I'll see that. They, they said on the news that 164 homes had been destroyed as a result of that. So we got a car and a friend of mine with me. We rented a car and we drove out there as far as we could go. And finally, the, the lava crust was, was, was this deep on the road, hard, hard. We couldn't go any further, so we got out. And I looked off in the distance. I saw the steam. I saw the smoke. And I said to my friend, I want to go over there. I want to go over there. I want to see. I want to see that river of lava. I want to see that molten fire. I want to see it. I was determined. And we walked. And pretty soon the soles of our feet got hot. We stopped, and in the cracks, you could see the smoke and the heat coming out of the crack. But I was determined. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see it. And we kept walking. Probably the most dangerous thing I've ever done in my life. Finally, I reached the place where I saw that lava, 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, flowing. It was so intense that the friend that was made, I could not see his face because of the smoke and because of the heat. But I stood there and thought, a terrible, terrible place called hell, where individuals are going to be forever. Why? Because they've rejected the greatest gift ever given, the gift of eternal life. Oh, dear friend, this morning, how important it is, as the Word of God says, that we count the cost. We count the cost if our soul should be lost. And dear friend, if you're a Christian this morning, will you count the cost, what it means to live for Him? Will you count the cost of what it means not to live for Him? Whatever it is, you're going to pay the price. You're going to pay the price of what it means to live for Him? Or you'll pay the price of what it means not to live for You're going to pay the price because God's Word is true. And if you're here this morning, you're unsaved. Are you going to sit there in that pew and count the cost it would have been to be in a terrible, terrible place? No forgiveness, no peace, no mercy forever. And the hymn writer wrote these words. There's a line that is drawn by rejecting our Lord where the call of His Spirit is lost, and you hurry along with a pleasure-mad throng. Have you counted? Have you counted the cost? You may barter your hope of eternity's morn for a moment of joy at the most, for the glitter of sin and the things it will win. Have you counted? Have you counted the cost? While the door of His mercy is open to you, ere the depth of His love you exhaust, once you come, and be saved. Once you come and be forgiven. Once you whisper, I yield. Will you count? Will you count the cost? And the chorus says, it says this, Have you counted the cost if your soul should be lost? If you gain the whole world for your own, even now it may be that the line you have crossed, have you counted? Have you counted the cost? Will you count the cost this morning of what God expects?
Will you count the cost this morning of disobedience? Will you count the cost this morning of what it means to be lost forever? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'll not embarrass you. I'll not point you out. But I think today of the price, the price that was paid by our military, that we might be free. I think this morning of the price that was paid at Calvary, that we might be saved. And I think this morning of the truth. What does God expect of me? What does it expect of you? And may the Spirit of God speak to our hearts this morning. May we count the cost. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'll not embarrass you. I'll not point you out. I'll just remember you in prayer. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many of you dear folk this morning? And be honest now. You see, preacher, I know for sure. I know absolutely for sure that I've been saved. I've been born. I'm not talking about baptism. I'm not talking about church membership. I'm talking about when you, the sinner, accepted the Savior and you were born again. If you know that for sure today and you're not ashamed of it, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, slip your hand up right now. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. God bless you. That's wonderful. Put your hands down. Perhaps everybody raise their hand. But is there someone here today, boy, girl, teenager, adult, you didn't raise your hand. Say, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm counting the cost right now, what it means to be lost. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And that the least I could do is pray for it, and you'll slip your hand up right now. Someone like that? Someone like that? As heads are bowed, as a Christian here, you say, yes, preacher, I am saved, but I'm counting the cost right now of what the Lord expects. What the Lord expects of me. And I've been disobedient. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's church membership. Maybe it's victory in your life over sin. Maybe it's carelessness in your life. And God spoke to you this morning about some things you need to deal with and take care of while you still have time. Maybe you've been sowing some seeds and you don't want to reap the harvest. And God spoke to you about it. And its heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You'll slip your hand out. Let me pray for you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Just slip it. I see those hands. God bless you. God bless you. Raise your hand to the Savior. He's looking down at us this morning. He knows your heart and he knows mine. You slip up your hand and place it in his hand this morning. Yes, there's some things in my life I need to deal with. Pray for me. Anyone else? His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Anyone else this morning? I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts. Lord, we've come here to hear from heaven. And Lord, we have heard from heaven because it's your word. Now, Lord, as the invitation is given, help those that raise their hand be willing to slip out and come and stand here at this altar and say, Lord, I've come to you this morning to be forgiven. I've come to be obedient. I've come to make some decisions that need to be made. Give them the courage to come. Christians ought to be the first ones to come, Lord. Then someone that's unsaved. Give them the courage to come. And we'll praise you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 481 in our hymn book.